0: fighting COVID with AI while preserving our constitutional rights. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Catherine B. Forrest, former U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of New York, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, and now a partner at Cravath, Swain & More. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. I highlighted some of your legal roles in the introduction. Explain how you came by your technology expertise.
1: You know, it really started before uh, any of the professional titles that you've, uh, that you've mentioned. I have a, a sort of a, an amateur interest in quantum physics that goes back for years and years and years. And I also, interestingly and completely unrelated, I thought, had an interest in sort of military history. And so these two sort of streams of amateur interest have come together and informed a lot of the work that I'm uh, doing now in certainly in the artificial intelligence area. Uh, But the quantum physics led me into sort of theories of consciousness and from theories of consciousness into AI. I then translated that first professionally into working on some of the early Internet cases way back when. Um uh, i did some of the cases back in the late 90s when we were still debating whether or not uh there could be infringement of music over the internet whether or not it was a tangible medium of expression and this was a real debate so i had a whole sort of first career in that internet space i then went on to the doj went on to the bench did a number of uh, sort of high-tech cases uh, there and then came off the bench already doing some talking and uh, presentations in the AI space, and then I've really continued that and I'm focused a lot right now on artificial intelligence, algorithmic bias, and a host of ethical issues and justice-based issues that really sort of bubble up out of my time on the bench as a judge in the Southern District of New York, where I presided over uh, thousands of cases and Numerous uh, criminal cases and uh, hundreds and hundreds of sentencing uh, matters for criminal defendants. What's... So it's all sort of come together.
0: Yeah. Well, it's quite an extensive background. Let's focus in on, uh, you actually wrote something recently and got my attention uh, about COVID-19. Let's talk about the legal issues surrounding our fight against COVID-19 using artificial intelligence. Start with how COVID AI might impact our first, fourth, and fifth amendment protections.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting, I think, sort of area to think about because This is really, in my view, one of artificial intelligence's big moments is the ability uh, for a variety of medical professionals, governmental entities to use AI's capabilities to help us in a very serious fight uh, against COVID and to try to save lives. And so there is a lot of good uh, good use to which AI is being put in the fight against COVID, but it does raise, as you've just said, some important constitutional issues Uh, and you raised, I think, the First, Fourth, and uh, Fifth Amendments. And those are certainly among the most important constitutional rights that a lot of people know about, even if you're not uh, deeply embedded in the legal world. You've heard about the First Amendment right to free association, to get together with other people, to be able to share ideas, to be able to associate with one another, to be able to engage in free religious observance. Uh, the, The... A Fourth Amendment right to be free from search and seizure, uh, and the Fifth Amendment rights to due process. I mean, there are other rights embedded in those, but those are the primary uh, pieces of those rights which people think about. So, with COVID, what we're seeing uh, with uh, AI, but with COVID, the fight against COVID generally, it's just that AI puts a particular kind of layer on top of it, is there is such an urgency to the national problem. Uh, of how to fight COVID and how to grapple with the very serious healthcare implications and the strain on government resources, that there are a lot of activities that are currently being put in place and that are ongoing that essentially ignore uh, the presence, if you will, of these constitutional rights and are sort of just put them to the side and say almost, hey, First Amendment rights, you're on hold during the uh, pendency of COVID. Fourth Amendment rights, you're on hold during the pendency of COVID. Fifth Amendment rights, you're on hold. And of course, there is no constitutional exception uh, for any kind of healthcare crisis. Um, there's no, you know, there's a limited exception for the suspension of habeas corpus in the time of war, which is completely inapplicable to uh, anything having to do with healthcare. So while we may want there to be exceptions to certain constitutional uh, rights that would allow the government to have more authority to do certain things. It simply isn't written into the Constitution. So the way AI plays into this is there are a variety of incredibly useful apps that are being developed all over the place. And some of them are for governmental entities, and some of them are for medical professionals. And let's just take those two as sort of initial examples. And we'll take actually the one for governmental entities first. Right now, there's a variety of AI that has the ability to marry really GPS tracking data, which is commercially available from a variety of sources uh, with some healthcare data, and to put those things together and to do essentially uh, density, Uh, analysis. Whether or not you've got people who have potentially either positive uh, COVID results that are mingling in particular areas and you can do some contact tracing off of that or whether putting aside whether they tested positive or not tested positive for COVID but whether there's just too much density in a particular area and that that concerns authorities. These apps are being developed to allow uh, and are, are being utilized to allow governmental authorities to go in and see where these groupings, if you will, of population are occurring, and to essentially interrupt them and to say, hey, folks, time to disperse, or to say, you must disperse. The fact of a just a request to disperse, I think, doesn't really particularly bother people that much, except that it does have and you can start to see the beginnings of some right to free association implications. As the governmental efforts of dispersion become increasingly uh, um, I- increasingly severe and aggressive, uh, the uh, implications for the First Amendment right become even more uh, even more uh, difficult to, to to grapple with. And of course, the right to the free practice of religion with COVID and certain, re- certain attempted restrictions on religious services uh, also comes into play. I mean, there are certain uh, religions where, for instance, uh, singing is a big part of the service and a big part of the communal uh, portion of of what's occurring and sort of restrictions on singing in public spaces uh, or in open spaces could be a real problem and restrictions on religious services most of most governmental authorities are trying to stay away from restricting gov- uh religious services but that's not uh universal so what we see with the ai apps is that this really phenomenal ability to do this tracing and to do some predictive tracing off of it. This is where people are likely to go. This is where people are likely to be. That kind of particular artificial intelligence extra uh, that we get, uh, that is being and has the potential to be utilized in ways that could be concerning. It's not, in my view, that we shouldn't have a lot of instruction for people to keep the density down, uh, for governmental authorities to monitor public parks. But what we do with that information, I think is incredibly important and incredibly important for how, uh, how well respected the constitution is with the uh, application of artificial intelligence. The fourth amendment you'd mentioned also, that's actually uh, the search and seizure. That is when you, like physically uh, would remove somebody from a particular location, saying, "Hey, you've got COVID. I know you've tested positive. I, because I, governmental authority, have actually got one of these apps that marries the uh, the data uh, on the healthcare data along with the GPS data. I'm able to tell where you are and to actually interrupt your uh, your movement. And that actually has some very serious uh, search and seizure implications. Uh, also to the extent that, and we don't see this in the United States so much, but it's possible that there could be, uh, it's a small series of steps to get there, where we've seen in other countries where governmental authorities have actually used those applications to go into homes and physically extract people and to say, you've got to come with me now and we're going to quarantine you. So there's, of course, no search and seizure exception uh, for uh, healthcare crises in the Constitution. And the last one, I think, I'm going to go now to the app, uh, a series of apps. There's a whole series of apps that have been developed of varying quality and varying amounts of validation in the healthcare field, where there are some, I think, significant due process concerns. And due process in the legal world uh, is the doctrine that allows you to be heard, to have the ability to Uh, actually make argument and to give your position when you're in the uh, unfortunate position of being about to be deprived of life, liberty, or property. So, for instance, people think of due process and uh, the court system as inextricably entwined. But you also, as uh, as an American citizen or as a person in America, whether a citizen or not, have due process rights that uh, attach in all kinds of circumstances, and so the healthcare area is one. And some of the AI apps that are being used now are predicting. And this is there's been a number of uh, very interesting articles. Now there are a number of academic articles uh, on this topic, are being used to predict healthcare outcomes for different people with different profiles at the time of entry into the hospital when they test positive, before they have actually hit the ultimate um, medical crisis. And the uh, path of care can be in some instances at least predicted uh, or suggested. Whether it's followed or not is ultimately up to the human being who's responsible for interpreting uh, the the data coming back from these AI apps. But the the ability of the app to predict a healthcare outcome uh, is, being sort of captured and then utilized by a variety now of hospitals. So what's the implication for this? Well, one of the implications is the allocation of scarce resources. And so we're seeing a kind of a scarcity with COVID that people are trying to understand, how do I rationally make a decision uh, when we've got these scarce resources? And so the allocation of ICU beds, uh, the allocation of ventilators, Uh, the allocation of certain kinds of nursing staff who have a certain kind of respiratory uh, expertise. These are all areas where the prediction of a healthcare outcome can say, look, you are the following profile, doesn't look so good for you. We may allocate uh, the healthcare resources in a different way. This can have, because it's not an emergency, it's an emergency situation in a global sense, but it may not be a minute-to-minute uh, decision for life and death. Sometimes it is, and that's a totally different scenario. But it might be, this is the predicted outcome for you over the next couple of days or weeks. There could be an opportunity there to have a conversation about, hey, why don't I get the ICU bed? Why don't I get the ventilator? And you know, what is then my right to due process before I am perhaps deprived of life? Uh, and so there are some very serious, I think, uh, issues surrounding the utilization of apps uh, that are AI-enabled for that. And again, there's no healthcare exception, no due process exception uh, to the uh, relating to healthcare uh, in the U.S. Constitution. And so, in my view, these apps can be incredibly useful if they're done well, if they're validated appropriately, there's good and there's bad apps, right? You wanna find the one that's good. The critical issue is setting up our collective social views as to what the appropriate utilization is within the framework of our constitutional rights. Or we have to have, if we wanna do it differently, we have to have a very serious conversation about whether or not we want to modify certain constitutional rights in certain crisis situations. Because as we know, and Tanya, now I've been going on for a while, this is, a, uh, this is not the first crisis, life and death crisis this country has seen. We've, this is a terrible one, and it's, it, it's perhaps one of the very worst. Uh, but we have seen, even in the uh, recent past, Hurricane Katrina, where there are immediate decisions that are being made about allocation of resources and other kinds of uh, terrible situations. Uh, what happened in Puerto Rico with earthquakes, another one. And so this is not going to be the last. And so this is not a one-time issue that we're facing. It's an issue that's, that's broader than that.
0: Catherine B. Forrest, we so appreciate your thoughts on this. And uh, certainly, uh, if somebody wants to, to follow your work, maybe they want to find out uh, more about uh, how to protect themselves or the things that they need to know as it relates to, to COVID-19 and artificial intelligence, how can they do that?
1: Well, uh, the best way to contact me is through uh, my uh, professional email, which is the letter K, my last name, Forrest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T, at Cravath, which is spelled cravat com.
0: Thanks again, Catherine. Thank you. That that was Catherine B. Forrest, former U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of New York, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, and now partner at Cravath, Swain & More. And you can find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.